What's up, you guys? How are you? You made it to church. I'm glad that you're here today. My name is Brian, and I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new, uh, we're just glad that you're with us. And uh, man, it's just terrible outside. So, you know, you're at church. That's awesome. I'm glad you made it. Um, I'm glad that you're here. So, uh, if you're new and you want to know something about ACF, kind of who are we? Uh, we are a church that is all about amplifying the grace of Jesus to the church and the unchurched and the dechurched. And so I don't know where you come from, uh, what your background is. I don't know where you're at today, but uh, we're glad that you're here uh, with us. It's already doing it. All right, this was like uh, the bane of my existence on Wednesday. So I'm going handheld, and it's going to get crazy. Can we do that? All right, there we go. Awesome, this is good. So I can kind of pull it away and scream at you guys if I want to. So that's great. I'm excited to be here. So uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 14. We are in a series uh, called Rhetorical Questions, and we're talking all about the questions that Jesus asked, uh, because he asked great questions, and uh, good questions are powerful, and they uh, have a way of speaking to us uh, as we wrestle with them. And so we are talking this summer through the questions that Jesus asked. I feel like my voice is very dynamic in this mic. It's awesome. Let's stand up together. We're going to read uh, a little bit of scripture together, and that's just uh, one of the ways that we honor God's word. It's by standing So let's read. This is Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. It says this. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. This is Jesus. Uh, While he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Can we just pray as we start off today? Jesus, thank you so much for your word to to us. God, thanks for uh, summers in Alaska and rainy days to slow down and uh, get some perspective on our lives. God, we're busy. Uh, There's much on our minds. Uh, We have succeeded in ways uh, this week, and we have failed in ways this week. And God, we are uh, at the mercy of your grace today. So Father, I pray you would speak to us, that you would challenge our hearts, that uh, God, you would speak through your word today. Uh, God, we really want to be touched by you and experience you. God, I pray for the person who feels very far from you this morning. Uh, Maybe the person who feels like this is not a place for them or they don't belong here. Uh, God, that you would embrace them. And show yourself to them, God, that you make yourself real to all of us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. Do we have to keep standing or we can sit? Okay, awesome. Very good. So we're going to talk a little bit about doubts today. Um, and this is a really, uh, one of the conversations I think is that's really near and dear to my heart personally. Um, so we're going to do a little true confessions of a pastor here for a few moments. And, and I just have to start off with this. You guys... Uh, may have never heard a pastor say this, uh, but my name is Brian, and I struggle with doubt uh, big time. It's something that I have always wrestled with, uh, doubt in myself. Uh, I doubt the people around me many times. It's hard for me to put a trust in people. I doubt God 
sometimes I, I lay in bed and I just I question things. I question uh, even my own salvation. I question what is God doing? Where is he right now? And I wonder about things like that. And you're like, how can we, why has he got the mic? I don't get why he's teaching us, which I understand that. Um, that makes a lot of sense. But you need to understand, for me, uh, it's been a journey and a process. And as I stepped into this role as a, as a teaching pastor here at ACF, um, this is something I, I wrestled with, was this question of, can a guy with doubts teach the people of God? Can a guy with, with doubts lead in a church? Uh, what place would I have to lead? And, and had it not been for a lot of people who put war, way more faith in me than I had in myself, I don't think I would have taken a step forward in this. Um, I, I struggle with a lot of doubts. I've always had insecurities, always struggled. I'm a people pleaser. Um, I, I'm always wondering how you're, you're seeing me. I'm always looking at things through the lens that you see me through. That's why Facebook's so terrible for me, because you can paint this little picture of your life and of who you are and try to control what people see, and it's just, it becomes uh, sort of corrosive on the soul over time, and uh, maybe that's just me, but it's a struggle that I have. So that's, that's my confession, um, and you struggle with doubts too. Uh, just be honest, right? Uh, you, you deal with doubts throughout the week. Maybe you doubt decisions that your boss made this week, and you're like, that's not the right choice, right? Uh, maybe you doubt decisions that you made, and, and you've had to land on, on, a, on a choice, and you're not so sure it's going to work out, but you made a decision because you had to, but you got your doubts, right? Maybe you got married. You got some doubts, right? Right. Because I don't know if you know this, um, but marriage uh, isn't a guarantee. Right. It's just not a guarantee. It, there, there are some uh, some faith steps that you have to take uh, to get married. We all wrestle with doubts in different ways. Uh, maybe you did doubt God this week. You doubt that maybe his goodness or his existence or his involvement with your life. Maybe you doubted that in one way or another. Uh, I know we've got uh, many in the room who are believers in Jesus. Could we just totally be honest together for a minute since I'm kind of pouring my guts out here to you guys? Um, who here in the room with a raise of hands would say that you have ever had a season where you doubted God? Okay, look around. Look around. So everybody else is lying, but but the people with their hands in the air, the honest people, um, have doubted God. So So why is it in the church that doubt has become such a weird thing? Uh, where we have made this sort of this conversation we don't want to have. I truly believe uh, that uh, that doubt has become sort of this, this, this thing that we don't want to talk about in the church and that we have, as a church, I think, begun to worship something called certainty. This idea that you can't question anything. And in fact, maybe you grew up in a church like this where if you had questions about things in the Bible, uh, you started uh, ending up in that special Sunday school class, Right. Uh, you know, the kids that ask questions go over here, right? You, you go color while the rest of the kids learn because we don't want to deal with these kinds of questions. Maybe you stumped a teacher uh, at church at one point. They didn't know how to answer your question, and uh, all of a sudden they didn't return your phone calls anymore, right? Because it just got weird because you're just not supposed to ask those kinds of questions. And, and for you, maybe that was a hard thing because you wanted to deal with your doubts, but you found it in the church that that's not the place to do it. That you can do it in coffee shops and with your friends. You can do it when you're not a believer in Jesus. But when you become a believer in Jesus, you must have 100% certainty in all things or you're not part of the club, right? And so for me, I don't know if you're catching this. I'm a little passionate about this. Um, Some of you in the room are faith people. Like God has given you the gift of faith. And you are 
you are, you are constantly very believing in God, believing that he's going to work this out. And Pastor Josh is here, and, and he and I talk about this a lot. Because I, I told Josh this week, I was like, because we were talking about this. I said, Josh, you, I believe God has given you the gift of faith. And some of you in this room, you have been given the gift of faith where you just, you believe, right? I mean, despite the circumstances, I need people in my life who are that way. That's why Josh and I work well together is because he is a, he's a man of faith. I believe that he constantly believes God's going to work. This is, this is totally like a Josh scenario. So imagine like we're out in the woods and we're cutting firewood and Josh like lops his leg off with a chainsaw, right? I can just totally imagine Josh would be like, wait, wait, wait everybody, hold on, quit freaking out. This is all going to work out, Right? It's going to be fine. He would just, he would naturally see like the, the best, the best scenario in any kind of situation and, and believe God's going to work this out, right? I don't know how it's going to happen. You know, I'm bleeding out here, but I know there's a way. I know God's going to work this out in one way or another. I, I'm just like, we're, it's over. It's over, bro. You're done. Pray for Josh. We'll see you in eternity. That's just where I go. And uh, I tend to be more cynical and more doubting. And so I don't know what this means for you. I don't know if you've had a lot of doubts, but I would say most of us in the room uh, have had doubts and we've doubted God. And so uh, I want to lay a bit of a foundation uh, for where we're going to go in the book of Matthew by just talking a little bit about faith and about doubt, because I would say um, that everyone has doubts. You can write that down. Everybody has doubts. Everyone has doubts. I don't care who you are in the room. You have doubts in something or another whether it be your family or your marriage or your location that you've chosen to live, um, maybe your finances, you've got some doubts. Is this all going to work out? I don't know. And I would say conversely that the same is true. Everyone has faith. I don't know if you know that as well. But you all are people of faith. You're like, I don't know, Brian. I'm not a church person. Uh, we tend to take uh, faith and we relegate it to Christian circles or religious circles and say those are people of faith, but the reality is we're all people of faith. In every area of our lives, we're choosing to have a, you chose to drive down the Glen Highway to get to church today, act of faith, right? You didn't know you were going to get here. The odds were decent, uh, but you just, you don't know. You're sitting in a chair that you're putting faith in right now, right? You don't know if somebody sawed half those legs off before you came in, but you just, you believe this thing's going to hold me up, right? We're putting faith in this 40-year-old volunteer-built building and the ceiling that's up. Does anybody know what those rafters look like? I don't know. I've never been up there. (laughs) They're doing pretty good so far. But we're putting your faith in this building, right? As I said earlier, you put your faith in somebody that you chose to get married to. And you don't know who they're going to become. You don't know who you're going to become. Uh, You're putting your faith maybe in God to keep that relationship together, that, you know, he will be the center of your marriage and you're going to work things out. So we are people of faith. We're people of faith. And I would say that's an important thing to acknowledge is that in the church um, that we would pursue faith over certainty. That although it's great to fully believe in things and we want to, the reality is that we want to be people of great faith. And the Bible talks a lot about people of great faith. And, and, and it's, it's this struggle, I think, for most of us to have this certainty over every area of uh, our belief system. But I believe God wants us to grow in faith. And if you're here today, I would say this, that it takes faith to believe in God, and it takes faith to not believe in God. If you said, well, Brian, I'm not a person of faith. Um, I've chosen not to be a Christian. I would tell you that it takes just as much faith to believe that there is no God as it does to believe that there is one. There's a, an author and a teacher that I love to read his stuff. His name is Tim Keller. 
Um, really good stuff if you're a skeptic in the room and you want to read some books um, that just have a lot of things to chew on. Pick up a, a Keller book. It'll blow your mind. So I want to read a quote uh, about this, about this faith thing by Keller. It says this, It takes faith to doubt Christianity because any worldview, including secularism and skepticism, is based on assumptions. For example, the person who says, I can only believe in something if it can be rationally or empirically proven, must realize that this itself is a statement of faith. This verification principle cannot actually be proven rationally or empirically, making it an assertion or a claim, not an argument. Furthermore, there are all sorts of things you can't prove rationally or empirically. You can't prove to me that you're not really a butterfly dreaming you're a person. Haven't you seen The Matrix? You can't prove most of the things you believe, so at least recognize that you have faith, right? So there's a lot about this world that you can't prove. Uh, There's a lot about the future that you don't know. And so in the end, what we need to realize is that we are people of faith, and, and so we understand that. But the question really is, what are you putting your faith in? What have you chosen to believe in? What do you put the most faith in? Is it your ability Or is it God himself? Hebrews chapter 11, um, if you want to flip over to that real quick, uh, verse 1. We're going to talk a little bit about what's often called the hall of faith, uh, where uh, he's talking about the the different people, um, the matriarchs and patriarchs of our faith, who have been people that have been coined as those of great faith. And he's going to describe them a little bit to us. And the first verse talks about what faith really is. What is faith? It says this in verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen. Assurance, that's a cool word, right? It's the assurance. Uh, the, the Greek word is hypostasis, which is simply to mean standing under. It's that we stand under this thing, just like you are standing under this roof. Uh, it, it can also be a legal term used uh, when, when you speak about like a deed of a house, where if you buy a house, they hand you a deed, and it simply is a, it's something that, that represents something that you're going to get, right? The deed is not the property, but it represents the property that one day you will get. Other words that are used are conviction. Faith is the conviction of things yet to come. It's the substance, the confidence, the promise of things yet to come. That's what faith is. It's this like, I know this is what's coming. It's the promise of what's to come. It's the belief in that. Now, the next question for me is like, well, so what does this faith look like? How do we live this out? And as you walk through these different people's lives, it says things like this. It says, by faith, Noah built the ark. By faith, Rahab welcomed the spies. By faith, Sarah received power to conceive a child. By faith, Abraham led the people of God towards the promised land. So what we see throughout this, uh, this description of faith is that faith really looks like action. If you say, I have faith in something... That faith can be seen in your life, and it's always expressed. It's not, see, I think what we've done in the church is we've turned faith into sort of this psychological game, right? Where you just, you just convince yourself, convince yourself, convince yourself, try to convince yourself that you have no doubt at all. And that's what it means to have faith. But for these people, I will tell you this, they had their doubts. I guarantee there's one day where Noah's building that ark, and he's like, I don't know, it's kind of sunny out, Right? I'm not so sure. He had, he had to have his doubts. Everybody has had their doubts, but he kept on building, right? He kept on working. And, and so what we know is that these people of great faith that we would respect and that we would model some of our lives after are people who probably had some doubts but chose to be faithful despite their doubts. 
So if you're here today and you're like, well, Brian, I cannot be a man or a woman of faith because I have doubts, I would tell you that those things can exist together. I, I believe that they can exist together. And I would say this, though, if you're here today and you're, you're like, Brian, I'm a, I'm a man or a woman of great faith, then, then my question would be, can I see it? Can the people around you see it? Because I, I would say this, write this down, unexpressed faith is actually doubt. Unexpressed faith is actually doubt. If, if I can't see it, you can't see it. If you're not showing it, then it's probably doubt. So don't measure your faith based on, well, it, it, do I believe it in my mind? Because I don't know about you, but I often convince myself of things that are not true. I often have blind spots and things that I don't realize about myself. I think I believe something strongly until the right circumstances come up and I find, oh, I've got some doubts there, right? I've got some questions. Am I alone in this? Anybody here? I'm not seeing a whole lot of movement. Okay, it's fine. I'm assuming you're with me uh, as I'm pouring my heart out here. So James 1. James 1, I think, is a great passage. People, t- people throw to this verse as a catch-all when it comes to doubt. Uh, verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no what? Doubting. With no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So a few observations from this, this passage. The, the first thing that's important is anytime that you're reading through Scripture is that you understand the context of the Scripture, right? You have to look at the verses around the verse to under, understand the verse. And the, the first thing that we have to realize is what is he talking about? If any of you lacks what? Wisdom. If, if, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him come to God and ask for it generously. This is a promise from, from God. And here's what you can know. If you're, if you're lacking wisdom today, and you come to God without doubting, and you say, God, I believe that you will give me wisdom. You've promised this to me. I need wisdom, because we all need wisdom sometimes, that I believe that you will get it. I believe God will give you the wisdom that you need. What he did not say, if any of you lacks a Bentley, right? If any of you lacks that new boat with the jet on the back, right, and, and you know, the fishing rods. If any of you lacks, uh, you know, that, that smoking hot wife that you've always been wanting, you know, whoever it is that you, or whatever it is that you've been wanting, he doesn't, this is not a blanket statement verse. People go to this and they're like, well, there it is. If I ask for it, God turns into a genie in a bottle, right? It's like, well, I just rub the bottle, rub the lamp, and I can get what I want as long as I believe, believe, believe God's going to give me what I want. And it becomes a damaging thing. Maybe you've been asking for healing. This is where it gets really difficult for a lot of people because many of you have physical issues, physical ailments. You know people who are struggling through things. And so some would read this, and, and they would say, well, if you just believe in your mind, convince yourself that God will do what you want him to do, then he will do it. This verse is about wisdom. Another observation in this is that he's saying that doubt's not a good thing. It's not something that we want. It's not something that, like, I'm not up here going like, I love my doubts. I wish I had more doubts. I don't love my doubt. It's not something I'm, a, I'm, I'm in love with, but I'm honest about it. And it's something I'm working through. And, it's, and at the same time that I have doubt, I believe that I have faith and that my faith is growing as I choose to express it in my life. So let's skip ahead. Romans uh, chapter 4, verse 20, talking about Abraham's faith. Another verse that I think is great. It says this, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, 
But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So another great verse speaking about Abraham's faith. I, I love that it says that he didn't waver concerning the promises of God. He continued to be faithful to God. But I bet he had his questions. And at the same time, he was convinced that God was able to do what he had promised, right? God was able to do what he had, he had promised. Not necessarily that he was going to do it at a certain time or the way that God was going to do it, but he had faith in God himself, that God had power and authority to do exactly what God had promised he would do. So you see this, like, this faith more in God than faith in his faith. You guys get this? What, what I think happens in the church is we start to put faith in our faith, and faith itself becomes the idol. We start to worship our ability to convince ourselves that we know what's going to happen and that, that we trust God in every single way. And, and before we know it, that's what we worship. Instead, instead of understanding our faith, as strong as you think it is, is, is probably pretty weak. Like You think your faith is strong, but it's probably pretty weak. There's a lot of weaknesses in it. And, and put in the right circumstances, we see those weaknesses. And instead of worshiping our ability to have faith, we need to worship the God that gives faith to us. He needs to be the one that is the focus of our worship. Okay, so Matthew 14. You're like, what does any of this have to do with a guy walking on water? Matthew chapter 14. So you can flip over to that. This is a, a, a very classic passage. Many people uh, know this. Even if you're an unchurched person, you're probably familiar with this story. But Jesus has just fed 5,000 people with like a happy meal. It's been, it's awesome. And so uh, just really cool moment. Uh, the, 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 the following is growing. People are excited. The crowd is growing. When you feed that many people, you do that cool of a party trick. The crowd kind of grows. And then it says this in, in verse 22. Immediately, he being Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. Okay, so the crowd is excited I mean, they are stoked about these people. I bet the disciples are kind of like rock stars. And Jesus just pulled a total rock star move, feeding all these people. And they're, 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 they're excited about that, but they're thinking, I'm going to need another meal here pretty soon, right? This is not going to last forever. And so I can imagine them just clamoring for the attention of these disciples. And I wonder, you know, these guys were human beings. I wonder if they were like, I kind of like this attention, you know, I mean, they're taking selfies with people. They're getting stoked because they are really popular. I mean, these were not the best of the best. These are fishermen, right? The, these guys probably weren't too used to getting all of this attention. So Jesus, I think, to protect them from themselves is like, hey, guys, get in the boat. This is not what we're here for. Get in the boat. He made them get in the boat. He didn't ask them. He made them. So they get out on the boat. Verse 23, and after he had dismissed the crowds, you guys go away, they're gone, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long, was long, was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Okay, so Jesus dismisses the crowd, sends his boys out on a boat, and then he's like, what do I do? I'm going to go for a walk. So he straps on his hiking boots, gets his hiking stick, and he goes up on a mountain. He sends his guys out onto the water into a storm. It's an interesting situation. Now, a couple things about that. First, do you think Jesus knew the storm was coming? I, I, I absolutely believe Jesus knows the storm is coming. In fact, I, I think Jesus is strategically working this whole thing to teach them some things. 
which for me, the, the reality there is that Jesus always has a lesson plan for my life. And he does for you as well. And here's what I've learned. I've learned I'm constantly asking God to get me out of the situation I'm in, to teach me what I need to learn so that I can move on. But I've learned that once I graduate one class, I always get enrolled into, a, into another. Anybody else realize this? Like you're always learning. You're always getting into the next situation. Jesus is strategically teaching his, his men these things. But he chooses to, to create some separation, right, to put them in a situation where they're going to have to figure this out. Now, Jesus would often retreat to lonely places to pray. This was part of Jesus' rhythm. Jesus had good balance in his life. I need some balance in the summer in Alaska in my life, right? Jesus was really good about, hey, there's lots going on. I'm as popular as I've ever been. Peace. I'm going to go on a mountain. I'm going I'm I'm to separate from this and go get my heart right with my father. That's what Jesus would do. But in this situation, what's interesting is he didn't go out to the desert. He went to a mountain, went up on a mountain to pray. The disciples are in a storm. Jesus is on a mountain. And I was thinking about why, why, why a mountain? Why did he do this? Why didn't he just disappear off into the wilderness somewhere? Why a mountain? And this sea, you can imagine, was surrounded by these mountains. So Jesus climbs up the mountain. And, and some would say, well, Jesus was just getting away from the disciples, wanting them to deal with this by themselves. But I, oh, I think something different. I think Jesus had a perspective on that mountain that he didn't have on the shore. I think he knew that, that as the boat was going to go away, he wouldn't be able to see it very well. So Jesus climbed a mountain, and I think he was still watching the men who he loved. These are his friends. And I was thinking it, it was kind of like this. So, like, I, uh, I used to live in Minot, North Dakota. Um, this is my dad was stationed there. And it, Minot? Yeah, that's right, Minot. Awesome. Anybody else from Minot? Jeez. Uh, we are, we are a, uh, a small crowd, and uh, we stick together, the Minot people. So um, it's a little piece of heaven. We were living in Minot. Not much going on. I was 13, and I decided to ask a girl out on my, on my first date. That's a big deal. And uh, where does a 13-year-old invite a girl out on a date? The bowling alley. That's where we went. The Minot Air Force Base bowling alley is where we went. So I got all spiffied up with my Dracar Noir, uh, you know, uh, aftershave or what I can shave. I don't have any hair on my face, right? And so, like, I cleaned all up, got on my 10-speed, and biked to the bowling alley. I don't know why you go out on dates at 13, but you do, right? And so invite the girl. We show up. It's like 4.30 in the afternoon, right, because I can't stay out very late. So she comes in. It smells like kind of like smoke in there. It's dark, and there's nobody in there. We sit down at a table and order a pizza. I notice about halfway through the meal, off in the corner of the room is this, like, creepy dude. He keeps staring at us. I'm like, what's going on? And he keeps looking over, and I'm like, I don't know. We're going to get jumped at the Minot Air Force Base bowling alley. What's going to happen here? We finish our food, and she's like, uh, I got to go. Like, I got to meet my dad, you know. And I'm like, all right. And she stands up and, and overwalks the man, and guess who it is? It's her dad, right, the whole time, just watching us like a hawk. I, and I get it now. At that point, I was like, oh, bro, why don't you trust me, right? Bro, why don't you? 13 years old, right? Why don't you trust me, right? And I'm thinking as a dad, I would never trust a 13-year-old boy with my 13-year-old daughter at this point. I get it. But at that point, I'm like, what? what's his problem? And so he comes over and escorts his daughter out and gives me the, like, I could break you in half look, right? And didn't say a word to me, and out they left. And I was thinking, you know, that's a good dad, right? That's a good dad. That's a dad who loves his daughter, who wants to, wants to take care of his little girl, right? Wants to keep her from, you know, unhealthy people, from boys like me. And I, I totally got it um, and, and get it now. And I just think that a loving father wants to keep perspective on those he loves, right? And I think for this situation, you, you might think, well, Jesus, how unloving that you would leave your, 
your disciples out on the ocean to, or out on the sea to deal with this thing. I think Jesus knew they needed to learn some things, but he loved them so much he wanted to watch what was going on and to be with them in this moment, even from a distance. So Jesus is up on this mountain. His guys are going through things, but he's with them through the whole thing. Write this down. You might feel alone, but you are always under the supervision of your Savior. And what we know as the story continues on is that Jesus would be the Savior to Peter in this moment. He's watching this whole thing go down, but he gave them distance. He knew there was a lesson to be learned. He knew that this was a chance for them to grow their faith. And though they had doubts, and though their doubts would be revealed in the next few moments, Jesus was always with them. And this is something that you need to know today. If if you're here and you're like, man, I have rejected God. I have I have uh, struggled with the existence of God. I've asked a lot of questions about God's goodness, and I've walked away from faith in God because I felt like he's not really there. I want you to know this. No matter how far away God feels, uh, he is with you. He does love you. And this is one thing I've known is true in my life, that through my doubts, through all of my fears and my struggles, if I go to God and and I, I simply ask him to show up, he always does. If I go to God and I, I ask him to give me faith, he always will give it to me. And, and I know that in the end that God is with me and with you through all of this. And this is so important to know because your circumstances may not change. He may not just yank you right out of the storm, but he will be with you in it. And that, that's, a, that's a deep truth. And it may even sound a little, um, I don't know, like kind of, a, kind of cheesy to some of you. But this is, this is key life stuff that we would know that God is with us in this stuff. If you have anybody in your life that you love, you understand the feeling of having them with you as you go through pain. And we have a God who does not leave us abandoned, but is with us. So then in this next moment, Jesus shows up. So they are being tossed around by the waves. They're freaking out. The boat may go down. I mean, this is scary stuff when you're out on the sea. We don't know. Uh, what would happen next. So they're, they're, they're scared. They see Jesus walking on the water. That's a pretty cool thing. And the first thing they think is, it's a ghost. This is some kind of weird apparition. We don't know what's going on. And then they flip from this superstitious terror to this daring faith. In verse 28, it says, And Peter answered him, Lord, and they recognize it was Jesus, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. I love that Peter's like, I mean, this is his buddy, right? He sees him, and he's like, Lord, if it is you, I don't know if it really is you, then what I want you to do is command me to go out on the water. I think this is really cool. People give Peter a hard time. Is Peter just always flying off the handle, doing what the emotions drive him to do in the moment? But in this moment, I think Peter had a little bit of self-control because Peter actually asked Jesus to call him. He, he's, he, I think in this moment he's submitting to the will of Jesus. He noticed it was Jesus, but he's not so sure. But he's like, hey, if it is you, I, wanna, I want a calling from you. Call me out onto the water. This is so different than Peter just jumping out and being like, it's Jesus, going to try to walk on water. He asks for a calling. And then we know that in the next verse, he gets it. Verse 29, he said, come. He said, come. Peter was called onto the water. Now, again, this is really important. This was Peter's calling. You can't just get out of here and go down to the inlet and be like, well, Peter can do it, right? I mean, if you're like me, I remember when I was a kid, I'd go walking through parking lots and be like, uh, God, come on, God, show up, show up, and I'd walk through a puddle, right? You're like, I, I think I can walk, and it, it would never happen. It's never happened to me. I don't know if any of you have walked on water, but uh, it's not something I've been called to. 
Peter was called to this. He wasn't imposing his own desires on Jesus. He was just asking, would you give me a calling? He was called onto the water. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Now that's cool, right? What was liquid turns to solid. Peter steps out of the boat and he walks on water. And imagine, and maybe you felt this way before, where your, fee, your, your faith is just at the pinnacle of, of your existence, right? You've got more faith than ever. And most of us would think that if we could see a miracle of some kind, uh, then we would have stronger faith, right? And maybe you've done this before where you pray. You're like, all right, God, I don't know if you're real. I don't know if you're with me. And so if you're with me, I just pray the next car that drives by would be red. And you look, right? And maybe it is or maybe it isn't, right? Or you're like, I pray that, that the phone would ring now, right? And, and it starts to, we start to try to get a little superstitious with God. And we try to get him to prove himself. You see, this is a different kind of moment. Peter is called to walk on the water. He comes out on the water, and he sees a miracle. He sees this really happen. So just like we would think, well, if God did that, I would really believe Peter in this moment. Man, his faith has got to be huge. He's walking on water, verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? It's really just a, it's a powerful question, isn't it? Like, why, why did Peter doubt? Once again, I think that we, we begin to, to worship this superstition, and we think that, man, if God would just show up in this one way, I would, I would never doubt him. And many of you made those promises to God. God, if you would do this, I will always believe in you. I will always trust you. And, and, and once again, we begin to worship the miracle. We'll worship God's hand over his face. We want to worship what God can do instead of God himself. And it becomes about this, this party trick instead of the creator of the universe. And so Peter in this moment has, I think, a chance to have more faith than ever. But the circumstances change and he gets scared. And you've been there before, right? Where you believed that everything was going to be good. And your faith was so strong. And you knew that you would never doubt God ever again because of how powerful he, he showed up in this one moment. This is literally seconds later. I love how bipolar Peter is, right? From one moment to uh, of great faith, like, wow, I'm walking on water. I mean, my friends, they're going to just think I'm amazing. This is just what a great moment to, wow. I'm sinking in the water. I'm terrified. I think I'm going to die, right? And then he cries out to Jesus, which is a good move, right? If there's somebody walking on the water and you're sinking, you cry out to the guy that's walking on it. Peter cries out to Jesus. He says, save me. It's a natural thing to ask for. Save me. I think that that's where Peter's at. Save me. And I want you to write this down. Being honest about your doubt, I believe, will build your faith. Sometimes that's all we're asked to do is just to be honest about our doubt. Just to say, save me. It's all I can do right now. It's all I can muster out is save me. And this is where Peter's at in this, in this moment. I don't know why you're doubting today if you have doubts. Maybe you're doubting the character of God, the goodness of God. Maybe you have insecurities, fears. Maybe it's a financial situation you're going through. Uh, maybe it's a relational thing. Or maybe it's just something inside yourself. And because of that, you doubt yourself, and in the end, you are doubting God. I think what Jesus wants us to do is simply to cry out to him and be honest with him. 
And instead of making doubt this, this taboo topic in the church, I think the church should be the first place we talk about our doubts. I think this should be the, shouldn't this be the safest place to talk about our doubts? I think it should be. Um, some of you might walk away and be like, i got to go find a better pastor, but I don't know. And, I, and that's fine. That's fine if that's where you're at. But I want you to know that you can find a, another pastor that can hide his doubts better than I can. But understand that, that I have not met a church leader yet that does not have his doubts. And I want you to know that if you're here today and you're like, man, I've got my doubts, just be honest about them, and I think your faith will grow. I think just being able to verbalize your doubt is the first step to finding faith through your doubts. Peter verbalizes his doubt. He says, save me. He's asking for physical saving, which makes a lot of sense. And, and as the story goes on, Jesus reaches out his hand, right? It's interesting that Jesus doesn't, like, grab him and yank him out of the water and throw him over his shoulder and walk back to the boat and throw him in the, sh- in, in the boat. Jesus simply reaches out his hand almost as if to say, like, I'm with you. I'm not going to just yank you out of this problem, but you just need to know that I'm here. I don't even think Jesus, I don't know if he, like, grabbed him by the collar of his shirt or what he did, but he's just one hand, stretched out his hand. When Peter touched him, he had faith again. Again, Peter was reminded of the presence of his Savior, and that's all it took for him to be back on top of the water. They walked back to the boat. The wind ceased, and they got in the boat. Maybe this is you today. Maybe you just need a touch from your Savior. Maybe you just need to be reminded that he's with you in this. And, and, and when I ask you why did your doubt, you, you might, at the end of all of what you're going through, ask yourself the qu- same question. Why would I doubt? God has always been there for me. He's always come through for me. Why would I doubt? I was thinking about this through a couple different lenses this week, so I'm going to draw a picture because that's how I learn, and it's fun to draw pictures. So I think we need to, we need to start off by putting th- things in different categories and understanding some things about how God works so that we can grow in our faith. So I'm going to draw kind of three different, three different buckets here as best as I can, and they're going to be three-dimensional because I took geometry in junior high school. All right, three buckets, okay? So I'm going to talk about three different categories of things that many of you are dealing with. And the first category are things that God can. Things that God can do. And these things are about God's authority. God's authority. So one thing that I think that we need to start off with is believing in God's authority over all things. In this moment, Jesus shows his authority over the water and over the wind and over the waves. Now, I don't know how much authority you have, maybe over some people at work, uh, maybe over your kids. uh, But this is a special kind of authority, is it not? God has authority over the elements. He has authority over your body, over everything. And so the first thing that I think we need to do is spend some time considering the authority that God has, realizing we are creation, he is creator, and he controls all things, has authority over all things. In this moment, Jesus shows his authority, and I think there are certain things that God can do and that we need to believe. God can do all things. I've mentioned a few times my father-in-law is uh, wrestling with bone cancer. Okay, and, and we're praying for him. And we're praying for him in this bucket. We're believing God has authority over our bodies, that God can heal, that God can heal. And so we've been praying. We've been praying, God, would you heal uh, Cliff? Would you heal his body? It's our prayer because we know and we believe God can, and we will spend time considering God's authority. The next bucket is a different bucket. 
It's called the God will bucket. God will. Okay. And this is about God's promises. So you've got God's authority and God's promises, okay? So once again, I guess to make it personal for us, um, we've been careful not to pray over here for Cliff lately. Uh, Some people would tell you when it comes to physical healing, you should always pray in the God will bucket. But I will tell you that God has not promised that he will heal my father-in-law. He hasn't promised that to us. And, And the only sense that he has promised it is that I know Cliff believes in Jesus, and one day when he stands before God, he will have a perfected body, and that in the end, God will heal him. But we we have not been promised that here on earth, God will heal his body. And people get into all kinds of messes when they start putting these things over here. They start putting these things over here, right? We start saying, God will heal him. We know he will. If we just say he will, we know he will. If we convince in our mind that God will do this, that God will do what we want him to do, this this is damaging. And, and, and this is, there are certain beliefs out there that would, that would encourage you to do this. Sort of this name it, claim it, just if you just say it and convince yourself, God will do it. This is called manipulation. Once again, we have to start off with the authority of God, not the authority of man. We submit all of what we desire to God's authority. Ultimately, we say, thy will be done, right? That's how Jesus taught us to pray. So we pray for things, we ask God for things, and we say, God, I know you can. I know you can, and so we ask that it will be done, but we don't know that it will be, okay? We don't place things that that we believe that God will do over in the authority bucket, God can do over in the promises, and I want to talk about this last bucket, God won't. God won't, okay? And this is about God's character. God's character. So we need to understand God's authority to know how to pray. We need to understand God's promises to know how to pray. We need to understand God's character, I think, to know how to pray. You know, he's a holy God, right? You know, God doesn't want to give you things that are going to destroy you. Have you ever asked for something and, uh, and it didn't happen? And then like a couple weeks later, you're like, thank, thank the Lord it didn't happen, right? Right? What a blessing that God didn't give that to me. Maybe you're praying for something right now or asking for something right now. And God's like, that will, that will destroy you. I'm not going to give that to you. Maybe you're asking for something that doesn't align with the character of God. Maybe what you're asking for is immoral. Maybe it doesn't help you to love others or love God more. And so in the end, God's not going to do that. Now, God will give us a way to our own evil desires. And we will do things and be allowed to do things that do not represent his character well. But once again, this is, this is damaging. When you start to wonder, hey, is God good? Because look at these terrible things that, that happen in the world. We need to understand the brokenness of the world that we live in. Many of you struggle with faith in God because you're like, look at what God did. And these things are repercussions from sin. And, and, and so we blame God for those things. So I want you to consider this week, which, which bucket does what you're praying for go into? Have you taken something that God hasn't promised you and made it into, into a promise? And so you keep wondering, God, why aren't you doing this? And your faith is diminishing. Are you over here and, and you're praying for God that he can do things? And, and it's something that he has promised. God's like, no, this is something that I've given you. And you're praying it like he, like he might do it or like he might not. One thing that we said is wisdom. Maybe all you need is wisdom. Wisdom doesn't go in the God can. It goes in the God will. We just read that. If you want wisdom, pray for wisdom. Maybe you're praying for something, and in the end, you don't, you don't realize it, but it's just not good for you. 
Maybe you're asking God to move in a certain way, and he's like, I'm not going to do that. In the end, that is not going to bring the most glory to me, and it's not going to show the, the most love to you. So simply this. We'll go back to Romans 4.20. I want to read that verse again. We'll close up. Back to Abraham's faith. It says, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. It's interesting that he grew strong in his faith. How? Just giving glory to God. What he's talking about is worship. What he's talking about is just acknowledging that you are not God and saying that he is and placing him on the throne of your life and saying, you have all authority. You have these promises that you've given me, and I understand your character. So if you're here today and you're like, I, I have doubts, Brian, I want you to know that I'm in this with you. Um, I want you to know that doubts aren't good, but they're honest, and that we all have them. And if you want to grow your faith, I think you need to acknowledge God's authority. I think you need to spend some time just considering the promises of God and I think you need to believe in his character and who he is, that he is holy and that he is fully loving, that he is fully good at all times. And I think when we do that, I think our faith will start to grow. Your circumstances may not change. The wind may continue to blow. You might start uh, continue to feel like you're being tossed around. But I think our faith really can grow through terrible circumstances. And I've heard stories from many of you. So many of you are so inspiring to me because your circumstances are terrible. And yet I watch you, and you believe through those things. And that is a gift of faith that is so far beyond you. And so here's what I'm praying for us as a church. I'm praying that we become a people of greater faith. I'm praying that we can simply be honest about our doubts and that the church would be the first place that we go to and say, I don't, I don't get it, and uh, I'm struggling to believe today. I'm praying for you to here today. If you're here and you're like, I have felt like my doubts have disqualified me from being a believer in Jesus. If that's you today... I just pray that you would pray the prayer of Peter. It's so simple. It's just the prayer of save me. Uh, save me. And, and I want you to know that save me goes in the God will and in the promises bucket. That God will save you if you cry out to him. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for your goodness to us. God, thanks that you are watching and that you are present and that you are here with us in the storms of life. Uh, God, it's a mess, and there's a lot going on in our world and around us that uh, would cause us to question your goodness and would cause us to wonder uh, if you're real, if you care. And so we know that there are no easy answers, but you are a God that is with us in this and that simply asks us to be honest. So could we be a, a church full of people who are honest about our doubts, full of people who are the first ones to acknowledge and to be aware of the parts of us that don't believe. God, can we be people who don't worship our ability to be certain, but who worship in the God who gives faith? Would you give us faith that we cannot even have on our own? And God, could we be the kind of people, maybe daily, that we would wake up and simply pray, save me? And God, I thank you that your spirit will intercede for us, and in the words that we don't even have to pray, God, will pray for us. God, we stand together, God, as weak people. Our faith is not strong enough. But God, through putting faith in you, we can be saved. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness and grace to us as weak people. 
Show yourself to us this week. And God, in the next few moments, we're going to worship you. And I pray that our faith would grow as we worship. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks.